Hey everybody, today's guest is singer-songwriter Chris Shiflett from Los Angeles, California. Everyone knows Chris is the lead guitarist for the Foo Fighters, but Chris is also an alumni of both No Use for a Name and Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Surprisingly, he has also found the time to record three solo albums, and the track we are breaking down today is called West Coast Town, taken from his 2017 debut solo album of the same name. The song is rooted in Americana and country, and Chris was mindful to keep the lyrics in that storyteller kind of mode. Producer Dave Cobb really brought these songs to life, bringing in world-class musicians from Nashville, where they tracked the record at the legendary RCA Studio A. According to Chris, this was freeing, as it gave him the opportunity to truly concentrate on the music and the lyrics. Chris cited Buck Owens as a big influence on this particular project, and while I can certainly hear that here, I distinctly hear a Southern California punk rock attitude in the vocal delivery. So for all this and a surprise backing vocalist, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, Chris, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. It, it has been a hot minute, and I had to, I had to go back and think. And I, I just want to start off by saying I have so looked up to you and admired your career, what you've done. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I've not only gotten to know you, but I've gotten to know your your brother Scott very yeah. well. Saw him not not too long ago, and 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 you guys have just uh, you know always been the good guys. There's everyone's always uh, always rooted for you for sure. I, I finally recall. I want to say the Foos weren't doing something. You can't out on a gimme gimme's run one summer maybe oh three and you gave me and it was before it was before you attached the united to it it just said jackson and it had like a tiger or a lion on it oh yeah 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 and if you if you look at promo pictures of me from that era man i'm every time you see one i'm wearing that shirt you don't know how many people want what is that it's a band well well, dude that shirt's awesome like people wanted to buy that shirt off my back i just want to let you know you might want to reprint that one i know that's rad you know it's funny because you know my nickname in that era was Jackson, you know, and it yes. came from when I when I worked at Fat Records because Chris Dodge already worked there, so it was confusing. So Mike just decided one day, like, <laughs> I'm going to give you a nickname, and your nickname is Jackson, and it, and it just stuck, you know. It's like for for that period of time in like the '90s when I was in No Use for a Name, and when you know when we started the Gimmies and all that, that was like uh, what people in at home in San Francisco referred to me as Jackson. But when I started that band, I got the funniest thing i got a cease and desist letter from no joke from a guy named michael jackson was like <laughs> took issue with me and it wasn't like the michael jackson it was just some guy named michael right. jackson you know like took issue with with me using the name jackson so i i probably didn't need to but i just uh added the united to it <laughs> just to just gotcha. to get that out of my hair yeah right well as i said just completely admired your career i know you're you're a music guy you know uh, growing up 
a lot of the punk rock guys I would look at, I would always say, you know, I don't know, I would, I would kind of box them and they're just punk rock guys. They know three chords. And the longer I, I went along in this journey, you realize that some guys are anything but just punk rock. And, and you're one of those. I mean, back in the day, you had a band with Marco from Sugar Cult. Yeah. Uh, that's where you kind of got your start, The Lost Kittens. And then from there, you know, you went to No Use for a Name and did two records. And that's where, of course, I, I got to know you from. Sure. Of course, the Gimme Gimme's happened. And then in 1999, you got the call to, to join the Foos, which I want to tell you, too, there was nobody in the punk rock circles, anybody that I ever met or talked to, and, and that was brought up a lot, that was big news, that ever had a bad word to say about you or were, you know, no one was even jealous. Like, dude, he's joining the the, the, the big band. Like, everyone was stoked for you. Oh, uh, right on. You know, it is it is, it is funny. Like, like, I remember the very, the week that I got the gig in Foos, like, I basically I got the gig. You know, I'd auditioned a couple times, but then I found out I got the gig like on a Sunday, and we rehearsed all week, and then we did a sneaky show that Friday night at the Troubadour because we were we were in L.A. and it was such a rad night because like all my friends came, like Fat Mike came, Joey came, Marco came. Um, you know, my brother Scott was there. Just uh, like all my my pals from like the scene, you know, um, yeah. and really like. It was it was a nice feeling. I expected there to be like some hard feelings a little bit in in the band because I like we were literally about to go on tour, and I was like you know basically snuck off and auditioned for the Foo Fighters and 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 then and left like right on the eve of a tour. But you know we managed to all stay friends even though that definitely threw a wrench in the works. Yeah, well, again, that was something that I that always stuck with me because I've seen it happen so much. This guy will go to that band, or or one of your friends blows up and becomes huge. I've had it happen to a ton of my friends, the sure, Blink sure. guys or Green Day or whoever. Sure, you know? sure, and yeah. It's one of those things, but you know, of course, you were still kind of uh, uh, one foot in the the, the gimme gimmies at this time. As I said, you went on on, on another warp tour, but then you did the Jackson project, which became Jackson United. From there, you did Chris Shifflett and the Dead Peasants. Uh, you guys released two albums in 2010 and 2013. And then in 2017, uh, April of, of 2017, you released your first solo album under your name called West Coast Town. And that's the song we're going to talk about today. Cool. Uh, cool. And uh, you released two more records since then. Hard Lessons came out in 2019. Yeah. And you have a forthcoming album uh, coming out, which uh, I checked out your new single. It's, it's really cool and so different from West Coast Town. Oh, yeah, right on. Yeah, it's called blacktop uh, white line so it's so different i you know if i didn't know you i probably wouldn't even know it's the same artist Yeah, it's it's funny. It, it definitely that like out of of the stuff on this new record that I made, and I made it with a uh, with a different producer. It's Jaron Johnston from Cadillac who produced this this new this new record, who I'd never worked with before. And he's definitely got like a style and a flair to what he does, and, and he had a freaking massive impact on on this record. He's a really good producer. So sonically, it does sit in a kind of a different place, you know, to to the last couple records I've made. And I think that first song is maybe the one that is the most different. It was interesting because both, the, you know, I'm putting it out through a label called Blue Elan here in, in the States and in most of the world, and then a label called Snake Farm over in the UK. And 
both labels independent of each other suggested that we put that song out first because we're going to put out, you know, a few songs leading into the the record coming out. So, and I was like, ooh, that's scary, you know, like, like cuz it is like kind of different, but I just figured, you yeah. know, if they if both labels feel strongly about it, then there's something to it, so just go with it, you know. Well, and I think there's a little bit of freedom too that this, you know, this is your side project. It's not going to come under as much scrutiny as as as, as the foos, you know. So maybe you could take a little more chances. Sure. Yeah, and let's be honest. It's like when you toil in obscurity, you have absolute freedom. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> well, you can try yeah, different hey, things, hey, you know what I mean? It, it It's hard to go solo out of a band. There's not many yeah. people that have done it successfully. I've talked about it on this show, but that leads into my next thing I wanted to, to bring up with you. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, would, would sit back and think, like, why does someone want to record solo stuff? You've done a lot of stuff yeah. outside, of, outside of the sure. band. And I've tried to explain to people that, you know... Our lives aren't uh, the singular thing, you know, sure. and I'm sure there's times I know there's times because I've, I've been there where you've been out on the road four or five months and you get home. You don't want to do anything. You don't yeah. want to pick up a guitar. You might just want to oh, yeah. go to the beach or go go do something. Where do you find inspiration to do this solo stuff? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it just kind of bubbles up in you after a while. I don't really try to like force it. There's no obligation to do anything, and being in a in a band like Foos is like a full time life commitment, and you know, as it is. But just as as you sort of like you know, it can be anything. It's just sitting around on the couch at home, noodling on my acoustic guitar, and you come up with a little riff, and then you, that just kind of builds, and you turn it into a song. And if you look at the sort of timeline, it it does seem like it's just every two three years or so. You know, it's it, you kind of get there and you make an album, whether it's Jackson United or the Dead Peasants or or just my solo stuff. I mean, really, it was it's all been kind of solo stuff in a sense, you know, just under different names. So I don't know. I just like I just love making music, man. Like I really do. And I, there's a lot like with my solo stuff nowadays and for quite a while, you know, I've been kind of in the like whatever you want to call it, rootsy Americana space. And um, it's just a style of music that I've loved for a long time that it, it took a while for me to actually get the confidence up to go try my hand at it, you know, and, and that's just the stuff that comes out of me, you know? So I just, uh, I just, I love that I'm just always working on music, you know, it's a l really lucky p position to be in. It's like, you spend your whole life dreaming of that. And I, and then I think it's like the older you get, the more you become aware of like the time limit on things, you know, you don't have that many great years left in you to, to make records and, and, and tour and do stuff. So you just kind of, you want to grind, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. The appreciation I have now, uh, approaching 50 for this that I never, I, I couldn't have had at 25. I knew sure. everything when I was 25, you sure. know, uh, yeah. uh, I, I, I wasn't going to live till I'm 30, that whole mentality. I and mean, I honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to last that long. Like I loved like this when I was in no use for a name. I didn't think like I was going to be 50 years old, still making records. I just didn't think right. that was possible. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and here yeah. I find myself it, you know, I'm 50, I'm about to turn 52 in a couple of months, you know, and I'm still, still going and still making records. And, and, you know, I mean, I remember the first, when I first joined Foos, the first thing I did was go out on like a promo tour with, cause they had just made an album and everything. And I remember Dave talking in those interviews, like, yeah, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 40 and all, you know, sort of, you know, just, you just didn't <laughs> think it was going to go on that long. You know what I mean? And, and here we are, you know, and still, still going. And, and it's, uh, it's really a lucky thing. 
Well, it really is, because if you figure 30 years ago when you and I started, the Rolling Stones were only 25. We had no, we had no gauge. We had no, how how long, how long could guys do this for? None of us knew, you know, we were all flying, all flying by the seat of our pants. But, you know, the thing with solo stuff for me, you know, if I'm going to write something, you know, typically my first thought is if, if it's so catchy and I can't, can't stop humming it, I'm at the grocery store or I'm out and I just can't get this thing out of my head. I want to save it for my band. You know, right. do you ever say to yourself, you know, maybe I should show this idea to Dave, or maybe I should show this to who, whoever's playing in, in, in Jackson, you know, now or whatever, or, or do you know this is going to be for, for a solo project? Uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm not the writer in, in Foos, you know, it's just that's not how how our thing sure. goes, you know. So um, when people hear this this latest record that I made, it definitely is the most sort of like all over the shop musically. Like it's, you know, some of it is like, you know, kind of twisted country, alt country stuff. And some of it is like, could just be, you could, you know, you could just think of it as like alt rock or something, you know, whatever. I don't know, you know. Um, and some of it sits in that more sort of Stonesy Tom Petty kind of kind of thing. It's really like all the different influences kind of combined, and, and that's the beauty of it. Like I'm not like it's one of the things I love about going out and making solo records. There's no you're not trapped in anything, you know. Like it doesn't. Like I could have one song with twin fiddles, and then the next song with a big loud fuzz guitar, and, and nobody's gonna cry foul. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. no no real expectation. You know, you're not like it's not like I've ever had like a big hit record that you're expected to follow up or you know what i mean so it's it, there really is just like a freedom there to kind of do whatever the fuck feels good and sounds good yeah and, and kind of it's interesting what you just said that thing of like when you write something and you're kind of humming it and you go to the grocery store and it's stuck in your head that that is always it's always good to remember that with songwriting like don't overthink that like just chase that yes. down you know what i mean don't sit there because yeah. like, you know i think i don't know about you but i have a tendency to go like no, that's just like some one, four, five shit. I've done that a thousand times. I can't do that, you know. Like, and then you really have to all like, the time remember to let that go. Like, if something makes your kind of gives you this, you know, there's a reason mm-hmm. for it, and it's good to just chase it down. Well, I've been at this songwriting podcast for for going on three years now, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you, um, it has made me look at, at at songs differently. I've been able to deconstruct them in a way that you know, for instance. This song, West Coast Town, I, I looked at the chord progression. It doesn't change till the bridge, but it doesn't have to. And that's right. what you were just talking about. It's like, yeah. wait a second. I, I got to change the chord here at some point. No, you don't. Not if you yeah. have the instrumentation coming in the in the right spots and the dynamics and, and yeah. are, are hitting, you the, hitting you the right way. But I want to jump into the song now, Chris. It's two minutes and 58 seconds. So we got a four-bar intro. Got an acoustic guitar panned off left, and there's an electric guitar panned off right, and a single held-out chord on an organ that slightly comes up in the mix as a crescendo with it is followed by eight more bars uh, of music as we are joined by the drums and bass that acoustic guitar panned off left is now strumming chords and the guitar panned off right is now a bit more centered in the mix and is playing a very playful lead lick that organ at the very top is way louder in the mix here
I want to talk a little bit about Dave Cobb. Dave uh, produced yeah. the record. So did you demo this song and did you work on the songs like a traditional, here's the demo and, and deconstruct that? Or, or how, how did yeah. that process come about? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Dave's process, at least at the time, you know, um, and I'm sure it varies per artist, but like, in leading up to that record, he was like, nah, don't make demos, dude. Just We just play it in the, in the room and we'll figure it out kind of thing. But I'd never made a record like that. So I did make some demos. And this song in particular is like really illustrates why it's so important to have a great producer when you're, when you're making a record. Why that can be such a, a gigantic asset to the you know, to the mm -hmm. outcome of things. Because when I wrote that song, this song was a really important song for me kind of at that moment, because I was going through this thing, you know, I had made those Dead Peasants records. I mean, if we back it up a little bit, I made the first Dead Peasants record was the first kind of like more acoustic based pedal steel on a lot of it, you know, like it was a more like Americana flavored record, right? And then the second Dead Peasants record was a was a covers record because I wanted to kind of live in some old country music for a while. And we did our sort of rough, rugged version of that just to kind of feel that out and really like live in those songs. And because I couldn't figure out how to write like that. And I thought, you know, like like actually just doing this for a while and just playing these old Buck Owens songs and stuff, you know, it'll rub off. I'll absorb it, you know. But I was really kind of like struggling for a while as, to write I had ideas that I couldn't like articulate. And I finally figured out that the, the thing that I was doing wrong is I was trying to write like it was 1958 or something, you know, in the language of this, some imagined, you know, honky tonk lyricist from the past, instead of just writing in my language, the way that I speak, you know, and West Coast Town, was kind of the song that I that the light bulb went off with where like it's funny like when I first started writing it I was I do you, do you know that uh that David Allen Coe song um was it long-haired redneck country DJs knows that I'm an outlaw they never come to see me in yeah this I said that song I was trying to write West Coast Town kind of with that tone to it because that song has like almost like a it's almost like a boastful like hip-hop kind of like defiant there's like a defiance to it you know what i mean where he's like talking you know he's singing about like you know i, I want every fight fight I ever, or i've ever been in and all that all that stuff you know what i mean so i, I kind of started writing like that but that didn't feel like me either you know what i mean like that's not really who i am you know so when i got to i finally because i knew i just wanted to write a song about where i grew up you know, and I finally got the lyrics going to West Coast Town. And it was based musically around that opening riff, that thing. But the feel was totally different. It was like, um, like I remember thinking it was the most like, like modern country sounding song I'd ever written at that time. You know, it was like, it had more of that like almost like beachy laid back you know it was like slower you know kind of thing but i went in and when we were making that record i played that song for dave and he listened to it and went like let's do this like buck owens and i remember he put on i don't remember what buck owens song it was and like to, to my ear i was like fucking great buck you know buck owens is my fucking hero you know what i mean it's a bakersfield sound i was all i you didn't have to twist my arm but um so and he put on a, an old i don't remember which song as a reference for like the groove and that's where that kind of fast swinging thing came from 
which just completely changed the whole vibe of the song. And all the chords and everything are the same, and the melody is basically the same as it was, but the whole vibe of it just went from this, like, really slow, laid-back, you know, strummy thing to, like, uh, you know, like it was like, you know, we were trying to do that, like 1966 kind of kind of Bakersfield sound thing. Yeah. Do you, do you have a demo of that you could share with us? <laughs> I think I do somewhere, but I don't know that it's ever going to see the light of day. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, hey I, 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 I totally get it. And the reason I asked that, you know, do you recall if there was any lyrical changes or an arrangement change to the demo when you presented it to David? If there were lyrical changes, it would definitely be trimming it down. I'm sure there was more to that second. That was a really important thing for songwriting that I learned from making those records with with Dave Cobb. He's really good at shaving the excess off your songs. And even sometimes when it's so hard for you, like I remember with West Coast Town, there was a whole nother half to that second verse. And he was just like, you don't need that, dude. You already said it. You already said that here. Why do you need to say it again? Yeah, to have like like an impartial judge of what your song needs, especially when it's somebody who's like, you know, been at the helm of all these great fucking records that you love, which is, you know, I love the records that he's made over the years. So, you know, I just put my trust in him. And, and um, even sometimes when it was hard to make the change, because you're like, so, st- oh, but I, ha- but I have to have that. I remember him going like on the next record, like, dude, nobody needs the third verse. Nobody needs it. <laughs> you never every everybody wants to put that third verse in there nobody needs it man that's my hardest lesson as a musician i think chris that the older i get is to trust the process and yeah. trust the producer sometimes sometimes yeah. you gotta back off and go man as bad as i want this second half of this second verse i gotta put my trust in him because look at his pedigree look where he comes from yeah which i want to talk about this sounds amazing the tones on here it was recorded at rca studio yeah uh, in nashville so the mix, everything just sounds great. And you, you had mentioned Americana, which, yeah, I guess they could fall into that, guys. But, man, this was so much more country than I thought when I listened to it. But it's got that Southern California, it's got like that social D almost Mike Ness like kind of snarl yeah, yeah. to it. It's got a, got, sure. it's got a little yeah. snot on it. It's country by 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 somebody who's not really uh, gifted enough to play country, <laughs> or at least not <laughs> not gifted enough to sing it. You know what I mean? Like that's because really, like the more you know over the years, the more I, I went down the country music rabbit hole, which I you know I came to kind of late. You know, really through Tony from No Use was the guy that turned me on to a lot of this stuff. But um, that is the biggest. I mean, there's the biggest difference in the songwriting is like the sort of the narrative. Of, of most country songs, you know, kind of story songs, storytelling songs, um, which, you know, a lot of like rock music isn't really. But um, but the other big thing is like the vocals, man, like country singers are so good. So it's like as somebody who's like vocally challenged in that way, it's like you, you got to like you're always kind of like, you know, I feel like I'm always like working around that a little bit, you know. I think this is right in your wheelhouse, though. I think this is perfect for your voice. Oh, right track. on. Thank, it really thank is. You. It, it, thank it, you. It's definitely, it's definitely not forced. If you're at all worried about your voice, this is a, this is a great style and, and, and a great track to, to showcase that. Speaking of your voice. I walked home all the way from East Beach with an oil spill sticking to my feet. To that little house on Salina Street, throwing rocks in the creek, my brothers and me. Yeah, mom held down on a county wage Clothes on the backs and food on our plates Every Saturday night, mariachi's played And I listen 
I walked home all the way from East Beach with an oil spill sticking to my feet to that little house on Selena Street, throwing rocks in the creek, my brothers and me. Yeah, Mom held it down on a county wage, clothes on our backs and food on our plates. Every Saturday night, mariachis played, and I listened through the windows to the low rider sway. Yeah, I mean, that. it's like this, this song is the most... Just diary entry, autobiography, you know, kind of take on on stuff. I just wanted to write about my hometown and where I grew up and when I grew up there, which was, you know, Santa Barbara, California at the time that I grew up. So, like, I grew up on Salina Street in Santa Barbara. That was like, that was my neighborhood, the east side. And um, the closest beach we could walk to was East Beach. So we would walk to East Beach with our boogie boards under our arms, you know, pretty much every day in summer. And if you remember in the late 60s, there was a big oil spill in Santa Barbara and there's oil rigs off off the coast there. So there's always a lot of tar on the beach. It's just like when you grow up there, it's just part of life. You're every pretty much every day you come home from the beach and get out your Crisco and your paper towel and you rub the rub the tar off your off your feet. The creek that I referred to is um, is the creek right down the street from my house that's probably overflowing right now because we've had a lot of rain. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was like that was like the creek down the street from my house that we would catch pollywogs and go root around in when you were kids and go get messy and get muddy. And, you know, that was like it's entertainment, you know, it's the creek, man. It's right. Part of the neighborhood. And uh, and what else? And, and that that line about my mom, you know, my mom held it down on a county wage. My mom was a probation officer. Oh, and that was that was that was her job. Uh, and we you know, my parents divorced when I was pretty young and. I was born in Santa Barbara. We moved around a little bit while my parents were still together. And then even after they separated, but when my mom won custody of us in, in like 1977, we were in Santa Barbara pretty much from then out or from then out until, you know, until I moved to LA when I was like 18 or whatever. But um, anyway, so, you know, my mom was a probation officer and that line, that next line put clothes on our backs and food on our plates. That, I was, that was actually kind of playful because we used to make fun of my mom all the time. She would always, and I don't know if she ever actually said this, she might have said it once, something about like, I work my fingers to the fucking bone to put food on the <laughs> plates and on the table and clothes on your bed. You know, I think she maybe said it once and we just made fun of her for the rest of her life over it. Or yeah, yeah she, she, my mom is still alive, but we, for the rest, you know, when we were kids, we, we, we just would, that was like, you know, our, our care, our imitation of, of my mom. I work my fingers to the bone, which she did. You know, she did. Yeah. Dealing with the dregs of society as a probation officer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the funny having, story, to come home to, having to come home to you and your brother. Yeah. It, well, ex- exactly. And my older brother, Mike, too. Um, when when I turned 18, when I dropped out of high school, like right leading into my senior year, and I just went and fucked around with my friends and got drunk at the beach and was really just didn't have a lot going on. Um, and I was 17 at the time. And I turned... 18 in may of whatever that was 1989 and the week before my birthday my mom goes all right i'm done what you know watching you come home drunk from the beach every day and i can smell you smoking cigarettes or whatever you know like you're just you're you're just not doing anything like i got you a job at the probation department so you're working at the probation department now go see linda on monday and i was like what (laughs) and uh anyway it was like the best thing that ever happened because she basically made me go work at the probation department in the records room, essentially. And with that job, I was able to save up money to buy an amp. I bought a brand new Mesa Boogie Mark II or Mark III or whatever it was. And I moved to LA. 
that January. I like had, you know had saved up enough money to buy an amp and get my first apartment with my friends down in LA. And that was it. I was gone. So thank God for the probation department. Anyway, so there there was that, and then also that last bit about um, Saturday night mariachis played and listening to the lowrider sway. We live next to this. Our neighbor right next to us. It's a funny thing. Like. I mean, it just speaks to like kind of California culture is weird, you know, like we didn't really kind of knew our neighbors, but like you didn't really know our neighbors, you know what I mean? Like you, you reckon you knew who they were, but it's not like we all knew each other, you know, but there was this family that lived next door to us that would have these really, they're like a Mexican American family and they would have these really loud like parties on the weekends and it'd be like mariachi music. And I would just, that's like a childhood memory of mine is sitting there with the window open and I could just hear, you know, like kind of music <laughs> going. And then also like somebody lived in that house was um, was a member of this car club called the Brown Sensations. It was like a lowrider car club back then. And so that's what I was kind of referencing, you know, listening to the lowrider sway. Yeah. So so none of this is made up. This is actual, you know, your childhood, which I have to 100%. ask. hundred percent. Was this, you know, written after the fact you were regaling your youth or was this something you had in a book that you jotted down when you were 16 or 17? Oh, no, this was way after the fact. Yeah, this was like, okay. right, you know, leading into making that West Coast Town record, you know, because, yeah, because I tried like lyrically like a few different approaches to it. But then that was the one that that I kind of settled on, you know. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Chris Shiflett coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pass to Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come, and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. And now, back to the show. Well, there's a lot going on in this double verse. Uh, after it breaks down from that intro, uh, the kick drums here with like a side stick on a snare. Uh, the acoustic panned off left is uh, strumming now. That electric guitar panned off right is ringing out chords on the one. And on the back half verse here, we get a little bit of harmony and unison, Chris. You're singing unison. I can hear you with yourself, but you're doing some harmonies in there. How did that come about? Did Dave help you with that? Because I've always loved stuff like that. 
that. And and I've I, I try not to shy away from it because you know when I'm doing harmonies to myself, I'll always want to make sure every note is an actual harmony, but it doesn't have to be. Well, it's interesting, you know, all the harmony stuff. I mean, I think I probably doubled the choruses or something and maybe i'm like you know going like this a little bit in, in there you know who knows but um but all the the harmony vocals on the record are are this uh woman out in nashville named Kristen rogers who dave uh, works with a lot she's great fantastic singer um and it's, i'll tell you something it was it was it was really so wild. that's not like, you that's not you no not the harmony no that's that's Kristen wow. for sure um I, I mean it's probably there's probably a double I'd have to go yeah. back and listen to it, but there's probably I'm probably doubled, and then she's harmonizing. But the, yeah. I tell you, it was wild, man, because I remember um, when we were making that record. Like I don't remember exactly how we were like a little ways into the vocals, and uh, and and I was talking to to Dave about harmonies. Oh, and he's like, oh, I got this this gal. We should send it to. Or he he said, oh, this this uh, you know woman, Kristen Rogers. It, it does. I work with a lot. She's great. I go, oh, cool. Let's have her do it. And he goes, oh, I already sent it to her. And he had already sent her all the songs because, you know, I just had my lyrics like on the music stand while we were doing vocals. And so they had just like copied all the lyrics and sent her everything. And I think she was maybe she would she didn't come into the studio to do it. I think she was on tour with somebody and just brings a like little recording rig and maybe like did it in a hotel room or something. She's she's really wonderful. I would not have picked that. Uh, as a woman's voice, I thought for sure it was you, or maybe I don't know if Dave sang or some somebody else did not know that was a woman's voice. Also on the back half of verse one, I think the organ might be in here buried, and I definitely hear either a pedal or a lap steel panned off left. Oh, we yeah. get the first taste first tastes of that. Is that a lap yeah. or a pedal? Pedal steel. That is uh, Robbie Turner, the legendary Robbie Turner, who is a just monster pedal steel player. Out there. It is so good, and the way that the pedal steel builds in this song is classic too. You could, you know, if I had sat down tomorrow with a with a you know a, a, a track like this and wanted to do something with a pedal steel, I, I have no experience. I wouldn't know how to layer it. I wouldn't know how to have it come in. But it, it's awesome. It's flawless here. Yeah, Robbie is amazing. He's like really one of the legends of that instrument, um, among other things. I mean, he. He played in Waylon Jennings' band for years and the Highwaymen and all that stuff. I mean, he's a really interesting cat. He actually grew up in Memphis when he was a little kid. He used to go hang out outside of Graceland and like, you know, in the early Elvis days and they'd see how Elvis would come out and like talk to them and they'd all be like a bunch of kids hanging out at the fence. And He had some crazy story about going into Graceland and somehow got in there and when he was like a kid and uh, and was in Elvis's kitchen and was looking in Elvis's refrigerator and like Elvis walked in <laughs> and screamed you know get the fuck out of here whoa and ran you know ran in, but it, I mean just nuts like that guy's I mean Robbie Turner's parents played in Hank Williams band oh geez not not Hank Jr but Hank Williams so that's the kind of like lineage that dude has he's really uh, an amazing cat. Okay, well, not taking anything away from you. This track sounds amazing, and there's 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 a reason why. We got some great th breadth of talent here. Well, chorus one is at the 41 second mark. We get to chorus one quick. Yeah, I grew up in a West Coast town back before they chased the working class out. You know, we don't fuck around where I grew up 
in a West Coast town. See, that's the remnant of the um, David Allen Co. lyric that I left in there uh-huh. to- tonally. You know, what I mean, that's and it's funny, and this is like a real like songwriting inspiration comes from unlikely sources sometimes. And I remember like I've I've heard like other songwriters I respect like talk about how you always have to have like your antenna up and you always got to be listening in, in on people's conversations and just shit that's kind of flying around. And that line, "We don't fuck around," um, I actually took that i was watching i don't remember who he fought but i was watching i don't know if you follow boxing at all but canelo uh alvarez was it was like his post-fight interview and this was before he had fought triple g the first time and the guy interviewing him asked him like basically like are you ducking triple g you know or kind of kind of one of those kind of questions and his response was in mexico we don't fuck around. <laughs> and uh, and I remember when he said that, I was like, whoa, that's great. And I just wrote that in my little journal. And I was like, I'm going to use that for something. And, so, <laughs> and then I, and, you know, when I was writing this song, I, I, uh, I, I remembered him saying that. And I don't know, it just kind of fit, you know. I like that line, though, because... I like what it's saying, and you have you have a little snarl. You know, it, it's there's a little piss and vinegar on the vocal there, but it's still playful. It doesn't right. feel like you're trying to be hard. <laughs> I, yeah, well, that's the funny thing is I think like sometimes, um, at least with like some of my old friends and stuff from growing up, maybe misunderstand. I, like I'm not really referring to myself, and I don't mean it in like a tough guy way. I mean yeah. it more like just like that time in the place that I come from. And believe you me, we fucked around a lot. Um, so let's just <laughs> let's put that to bed. There's a lot of fucking around. But I just mean like I, it's hard to even articulate what I mean. I mean, but it's it's I'm just mean it, you know, in a broader sense, you know. Sure, and that's um, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. That's what I took away took away from that lyric. Chorus one got the same instrumentation pretty much uh, as the verse, except the snare drum is now in. The organ is very present, panned uh, slightly off left, and the pedal steel is panned off left here. At the very end of the chorus, the chord progression changes a bit here for the first time in the song with that walk down that you do that uh, gets us into the eight-bar reintro. Like the top of the song, except the pedal steel panned off left is here in this reintro before we get into verse two. Fourth of July, Ledbetter Beach, salt air digging in my lungs so deep, chased her all night till she couldn't see. It was paradise, but I had to leave. And we're getting a single verse here because I think Dave wanted to chop the back half, right? Chopped it right off. I don't even remember what it was, but I, it was clearly unnecessary. <laughs> right. And uh, so, so what's happening here lyrically? Again, back in my day, um, when, when uh, it, I don't think they do this anymore up there, but um, Ledbetter Beach was where uh it's Ledbetter Beach is is like right below the Mesa in Santa Barbara. Like if you've okay. been to Santa you probably played in Santa Barbara a bunch of times. Oh yeah. 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 So Ledbetter Beach is right there sort of at the bottom of the Mesa just over from the harbor and up on the hill is the city college and that's where they would launch fireworks on 4th of July. And so Ledbetter Beach was a 
fucking like battle scene on 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 fourth of july <laughs> everybody would dig out pits and people would just be running around wasted and like shooting m80s at each other and it was just like it was just freaking mayhem down there on 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 fourth of <laughs> july um but really really fun um but i don't think they do it anymore because i think it maybe you know it's like too out of control by by modern standards you know but um but so that's what that's referring to i you know the 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 girl reference is sort of maybe one of those like sort of composite things where that could be a few different people i'm referring to and and then the, you know chased her all night but she couldn't see it was paradise but i had to leave like santa barbara is fucking paradise um and still is paradise and has always been paradise but there was just something in me growing up that like i had to i had to like go i just desperately wanted to go you know experience the world and get out and i see that a lot of times where you know you something in, in this instance will be autobiographical let's say as a lyricist but you get to that point in the song where you're like well, we kind of have to have a player here, you know? And and a lot of times when you make it about a love interest, it tugs at a certain heartstring sure. and you're able to embellish a little bit. Maybe maybe it wasn't one particular girl, but there was a girl at some point. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I don't know, that's just like, I don't know. Like I spent a lot of those early years like kind of being like brokenhearted over various people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think that was like, a, you know, central to my teenage makeup. You grew up in Florida, right? Yes, yes. So that line about like the the salt air digging in my lungs so deep, like, did you have that thing? Like every time I would come home from the beach, like my lungs hurt. I don't know what causes that, but it's like something about the salt water air like gets in your lungs and it's like it, it, but it's like that kind of a good feeling. It's like, you know, like after you work out, you feel you're sore, but you're like, you feel sore because you just did some shit and you feel good about it. (laughs) It's like the same thing with like that, 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 that tightness in your lungs after a long day at the beach. You're like, well, do you guys, do you guys get, you guys get red tide out where you're at? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Because, yeah. man, you want to talk about your lungs burning when that would happen in Florida. I definitely would get that. But I know what you're talking about with, uh, with with that salt air. Verse two here, once again, we got a single verse. There's harmonies throughout. And I forgot to mention, Chris, there was harmonies throughout the chorus, which I'm still tripping out. I can't believe that's a, that's a lady's voice. I swear. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought that was you. It's the same instrumentation uh, here on verse two as the back half of verse one, although the organ is uh, uh, noticeably louder here in verse two. Uh, Chorus two comes right on uh, after verse two here. It's the same lyric as chorus one and the same instrumentation. As I go through these songs on this show, I'm looking and there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes the chorus is always the same. Sometimes you'll ask somebody, well, the line changed up here. Why'd you change this one? And well, we, you know, didn't want it to get boring or stale. I noticed this one was the same. Was there ever a discussion with Dave? We should bring more information in here or, or was that the chorus? I don't remember, but I have tried to get away from, I used to have that thing of like, you always have to change at least one thing every time you go back to it. And yeah, that can be cool too. I mean, I certainly have done that in a bunch of songs. Um, or you know, maybe it's nice to flip something around when you get to the last chorus or whatever. But it makes it harder when you go out and do it live because then you. It always, certainly does. You, you always fuck that lyric up, don't you? I know. Yeah, I know. And and do you know how many times I just heard it on the radio the other day? I'm driving down the road and it came on, and every time it does, I'll crank it up. I love this song, but it's like. 
How many times does Petty say free falling in the song free falling? That's all right. he says. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. but there doesn't need to be anything else. The yeah. lyric is perfect, the conviction with it, but how do you know when you have that lyric? For me, it's like, I, I got to put more in there. My lyrics couldn't possibly be good enough just to sing it over and over. Yeah. No, I know. He was, I mean, God, Tom Petty was such a master of using, like, not overcomplicating his lyrics with a bunch of fancy 50-cent words unnecessarily. You sure. Know, just kind of simple, straightforward, <laughs> conversational Never sounded like a put-on, always sounded like him, or what you imagined mm -hmm. him to be, because obviously none of us knew him, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, after chorus two, there's an eight-bar re-intro. That pedal steel panned off left, it sounds killer here, and it's really coming up in the mix in this point of the song. I'm really hearing it now. Was uh, was that intentional? Um, I think probably a lot of the dynamic uh, of what Robbie did is probably just, I mean, I have to go back and look. Um, but I bet a lot of that was just him working it, you know, the work in the volume pedal. Cause, cause he really like, like great, like all great pedal steel players. Like he really knows when to be kind of ride it high and get hotter and bring it down and vibe it out. But it, yeah, I'd be curious to see, you know, crack the file open and see if there's like a lot of like, le you know, volume moves in the mix. I I suspect not. I suspect it's mostly just him. And that's interesting. And, and for the listeners, what Chris is saying here is, is, you know, those dynamics, a lot of times as players will will play something really soft or will play something really hard. And coming from a punk rock background, you can attest to this. Like my first couple of records, it was like you push record and you just played as fast and as hard to your fingers. were oh, bleeding. Yeah. I didn't know what dynamics were. And finally, I had a producer one time tell me this part's delicate. What does that mean? Well, you yeah. you got to play this. Maybe try to play it with your fingers. What are you talking about? I play with the pick. Yeah. I had no idea of this oh, yeah. whole other world and and way to approach things. Right after that eight bar reintro, we get the bridge. And Chris, this is the first true uh, chord progression change uh, here when we go to that E minor. got the harmonies all over this and again i wrote the the pedal steel here is just great do you you know this guy's a this guy's a ringer robbie that came in did yeah. you see any of him doing it oh yeah no i sat there in the room with him doing the whole thing and he banged the whole thing out in in either one day or maybe two days or whatever you know um it was such a, a pleasure because I'm so used in those. I really just overall with this record, I tried not to micromanage anything. And with Robbie, you really didn't have to. You just didn't. Yeah. Have, like, I think the only thing I we had a conversation about tone. I kind of like I'm not a fan of of overdriven pedal steel generally. I mean, you know, sometimes you hear it and it's cool, but it's I, I like that. Um weepy sad 60s sounding steel is the is what tugs me at too my heart and i think we talked about that and that was probably all the you know if you even want to call it instruction that was probably all the input i had and then we would just put the song up and and um i think you know play it down and he'd chart it out and then he was just be off to the races and and he would just nail it in a couple of takes it's amazing when you watch these these session guys that that's yeah. all they do is just yeah. hop from and 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 the reason that they're session guys is because they're that 
good. Yeah. They're unreal. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen some of these LA cats and you're sitting across from going, okay, they, they played it five times through and the producer's like, okay, you can go home now. Like, yeah. what, did, what did I just witness? It's, it's so, so cool. With Cobb, that was a, a really interesting part of working with him because I was used to, you know, probably making records the same way that you probably made records back in the day, you know? And he was really like big on like, let's not overdo it. Like, you know, you, if you may, if you did five takes, that would have been a lot of takes, you know, it's probably more often you're doing maybe like three or something, you know what I mean? And you might even be keeping the first half of the first one, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, and yeah. so like, like he was, he's really like good with not overdoing it, you know, keeping that fresh feeling. That's what this process sounds like. It sounds like yeah. you were able to come in with with these bass songs and and he was able to build them up with with the players. That had to be so cool to to witness. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's such a and I you know I I'd never made a record like that ever, you know. Yeah. And it was just yeah. the whole thing was just was just changed a lot of my perspective on 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 making records, but also like a lot on songwriting. And then you know the next record I made Robbie wasn't, um, he was in, in kind of poor health at that time. He was going to play on the next one too, but then he wasn't able to do it. So kind of last minute I called Paul Franklin, who's another just incredible steel player. And it was, you know, same, same deal. He came in and just banged it out in a, in a, in an evening or whatever. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Like that's such a, like a, like an instrument that I have so much respect for that, that when you watch somebody that really is a master of it, um, it's, I, it's yeah. fun. I've never played one. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've tried. I, I one. own one. I own one. Oh you, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend I'm a player. I just. I'm an owner. I've always wanted to one one of these days, but definitely bucket list. Well, after the bridge, we get into a 16 bar guitar solo. I, I love this solo. Uh, there's some great interplay between the lead guitar and the pedal steel here from bars eight through 16 here. There's another lead guitar panned off left that joins in. And I love how this builds up into what I'm calling the chorus three breakdown. Chase the working class out You know we don't fuck around Where I grew up Yeah, I grew up Same lyric here, uh, up to where I grew up You don't get West Coast Town on the breakdown It stops there uh, We get harmonies on those last uh, two lines The acoustic panned off left here uh, That's all that is here Except a single hi-hat hits And an organ only And uh, you get that unison harmony thing Happening here before the full band Comes back in on I Grew Up The whole band is in for a full chorus Yeah, I grew up in a West Coast town
chorus three is the same lyric uh, as the other ones on In a West Coast Town. Uh, there's an eight bar outro at that point. Halfway through, you say In a West Coast Town uh, again through that musical outro. And on bar seven, the whole band hits. Din, 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 din. And then we fade out and it comes to yeah. end. How'd you know the song was over? Was Did you always uh, end it the same way? Did, did uh, was, it, was that how it was or did that change in the studio? I'm sure that changed in the studio, but I don't remember. I, I mean, it would be fun to dig up that old demo. I'm such a lazy uh, demo-er. Um, <laughs> that they're, they t- and I think for that round of demos, I think it was like me playing drums on it too. And that's like yeah. a freaking horror show, believe me, because I'm not a skilled drummer at all. So me like fumbling through and probably didn't like take the time to go in and like you know beat detective it into submission i, I would wage a bet that i'm a worse drummer than you are but that's for another podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well I've, i tell you what that was one of the upsides of um of the covid lockdown year was uh it it uh, it forced me to learn how to to uh program drums in uh in logic you know yes which is like yes, me too. i was like i'm never gonna waste my time uh trying to drum through a demo thing ever again no it lo- logic is your friend i'll say that loud a loud, million as percent. loud as i can yeah <laughs> but uh well i gotta tell you for, for the listeners out there make sure you check out chris performing this online go to youtube it's on at paste studios and what i like and i watched some live videos i watched the i watched the full band uh the the crowd definitely loves this song you could tell they they, they knew it your fans and that paste studios what i love about that that's just you alone and the song trans translates oh, right to on. just being alone i i love going out and doing those like solo acoustic shows you know that was like something that i was always really scared to do and then um and then there was a point there where i did it a whole bunch and just wanted to do it until i got comfortable with it and i did and i really enjoy it i haven't done that for a while um but it's always fun to go out and do that i mean that really is talk about stripping back your songs i mean you are like stripped all the way back you know yeah and, well, and, you, and you talk about being uh, apprehensive it's just you're you're naked with a guitar that's it buddy you know yeah if, 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 yeah and there's no there's no band to cover for your flubs no I gain say. no just you know no no volume <laughs> you know none of that stuff like that's that's where you really realize like i realized at a certain point like man i really rely on string bands you know, mm-hmm. playing guitar solos like, you know, when you when you're playing acoustic and you don't have that to like, you know, that's sort of like as a as a as a lead player. That's like how I reset and sort of take a paw, take a breath to think about what comes next, you know, do yeah. something, do something and then hold a note, you know. And then when you don't have that option, you're like, oh, shit, there's no nothing. You just got to keep going or not, you know, and hope nobody notices. That's, that's exactly my exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, man, thank thank you so much for sitting in. And before we break, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with what you have going up, uh, the foos, anything else? Um, I think we, yeah, we kind of, kind of cover most of it in the in the beginning part. I got a bunch of songs coming out this year, and then ultimately it'll be a, a full-length record like in October, something like that. So, yeah, doing shows here and there and, uh, and, uh, and uh, putting out music, yeah. And doing podcasts like this. Yeah! Yeah! It's you know it's 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 funny. I will tell you real quick. I um I saw somebody posted online a picture from the first No Use for a Name tour that I ever did, and it was such a great time capsule of that era because I'm like, 
I'm, you know, my my head's shaved. I look I look like I'm 10 years old, you know. I'm playing my Les Paul. There's like stickers all over my Les Paul like that I would never do now, you know what I mean? Yes. And uh but the most important part of it uh stylistically is I'm wearing like gigantic triple XL no effects shorts. You know that like are almost long enough to be pants. Yeah, I mean you remember. Yeah. That was of that course. was the thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the three the three X T shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Shiflip, but don't go anywhere. We got the band you might not know, and we got the rap coming up. This is a very Chris-heavy episode. Yes, we had Chris Shiflip as a guest, but now you're going to get to listen to your friends Chris and Chris do the rap right after a few words from our sponsors. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, everybody. Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now, too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay, but you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing! I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Heel Turn, a punk rock band from Prague, Czech Republic. Their latest album is titled The Way You Life Your Live is Strange. Here's a snippet of their song, 
antipathy. And Chris. So Chris, you and I were both really excited about this one. It's so cool that Chris's roots are in our little punk rock world. I shouldn't say little, I guess, but, but that he came from our world of punk rock and has gone on to have the biggest musical experience that anyone could ever fathom. <laughs> and to see that he has had that for the past 25 years or whatever, and he's still such a down to earth and for lack of a better word, normal guy by the way i consider us normal guys Uh-oh. i don't do you consider us do you consider you and i normal guys i consider us normal guys some people might argue that but my point is that's so cool yeah he's always been that way so humble and and i think that goes uh you know to what i was saying to him about there you know there was never a cross word about chris shiflett everyone was stoked you yeah. know, maybe maybe the no use guys were a little bummed because he he bailed on their tour or whatever. They just made a record, but that's all been been long forgotten, of course. But uh, just what a, what a guy, you know, just uh, world class musician who just keeps it real. Yeah, you would never. <laughs> you were talking to him, hanging out with him, whatever. You wouldn't know that he's in one of the biggest bands ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't really know that. Uh, there's a lot of things he said in this episode where I was like, oh, I relate to that. One of the funny things, and I'm curious as to what your take on this is. He talked about how growing like growing up, I mean, I guess I lived next to my grandparents. So I can't totally say that. But for the most part, I never really know my neighbors. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I have neighbors all around me. I don't really know any of them. Do you know your neighbors? Uh, it, it's funny. I was talking to us about, about this not too long ago. When I lived in Michigan, when I first moved to Florida, everybody knew their neighbors. It was like, leave it to Beaver. You'd go borrow a cup of sugar from the woman across the street, and then the next day, someone would eat some salt, and they'd come knock on your door, and you'd bring cookies over to the neighbor. There was that thing. I'm telling you that, that times have gotten weird the last 25 or 30 years. Things have changed, and people just, you know, know they'll, they'll they'll give you every bit of uh information on themselves online but don't come to my house yeah <laughs> yeah well dude i'll tell you the only guy the only guy and i give him credit for like trying to be like a nice neighbor or whatever there's this guy who comes around and he knocks on my door just shows up sometimes i seriously hide because he just wants to talk to me. He eventually wants to turn the conversation into trying to get me to come to his church. I think I told you about yeah. this guy before. I'm like, dude, I don't go to church. Like, can't we just talk, talk about something normal? Anyway, yeah, I don't really talk to my neighbors. I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but I kind of could relate to that. I loved the story that Chris told about his mom getting him a job at the probation office. Yeah. And then him making the money, buying his amp and moving to LA. <laughs> I think that's that's cool, right? It is, you know, and, and he even said it. It was kind of like the the best thing that could have happened he didn't know it at the time he's like what you know she 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 did what a mom is supposed to do not be your friend be your parent in that situation and you know think of this poor woman you know they they kind of mocked her you know about putting clothes on their backs and food on their plates but that's what she did she was providing as a single mom and and as i said to chris she's dealing with the, the heathens of society as a probation officer have to come home to to her three boys that had to be uh daunting right yeah that's enough smoking cigarettes on the beach today chris <laughs> you got to get a job <laughs> all right back to the songwriting a little bit here 
you talked about changing chorus lyrics versus doing the same thing every time. Chris, we've been doing this podcast for a while. I don't know what the answer is here. <laughs> I think I would probably lean to repeating the chorus, like not changing it so people could learn it and sing along. I would lean that way, but there's no right or wrong. I, I think we're never going to find a right or wrong answer to anything on this podcast. It's just that everyone's process is different. It is. And and we've talked about this, Chris. We've talked about, you know, there, there's a song that was recorded by somebody in 1971 and somebody else re-recorded that song in 75 and in 78 and someone in 85. And it wasn't until, I'll pick an artist, it wasn't until Huey Lewis recorded the song that it became a hit. It's the same song. It's the same lyrics. It's the way that person sold it. There's no right or wrong answers in songwriting. That's why it's so fascinating. This will never get old because for this song the chorus lyric is the same and for this song they changed it up and they're both massive hits why it's mind-boggling yeah it's also cool man to go into this situation which i think chris said this was the first time now not that he hasn't been surrounded by amazing musicians (laughs) it's every step of the way but to be the songwriter and step into a situation where you're just bringing in ringers like you get to focus on writing the song and bringing that song to life but you know every person who's playing on that is a ringer and they're just going to crush it especially when you're dabbling in in new types of music you Mm -hmm. know that this isn't a punk rock or like a hard rock song this is like a country influenced song you know so to have such amazing players on it just allows you to focus on the song yeah and i think it was a very you know cool new experience but it was also freeing to chris to be able to go okay here's my ideas he trusted in producer dave cobb and then you know the 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 vocalist uh the backing vocalist (laughs) he didn't even see her perform the parts dave cobb sent it off to her he gets it back because she was that good and he's like oh yeah it was amazing which again i'm still shocked i did not think that that was a a lady's voice on the backups i thought it was chris Yeah, I would have never guessed that. I wanted to say also, I wanted to jump in and say, as the third Chris saying this, I'm also a really bad drummer. (laughs) I I obviously have good rhythm. I'm a bassist and I feel like I'm pretty good at bass. But over the pandemic, I set up the drums in the living room. I have a drum set and I would just play along to like the Lauryn Hill album (laughs) as best as I could. And I just eventually was like, you know what? It's fun. It's fun to play drums. But I'm bad at him. Yep. Well, that's that's why Chris said he said logic. You know, he he spent the pandemic learning yeah. <laughs> that as I did, and it's uh, finally a drummer I can program in two seconds. This is right up my alley. It's great. There's no there's no more guesswork. Right. And uh, also, one more thing I wanted to say when it comes to putting out solo music, you know, I've put out some solo music over the course of my music career or whatever, but it's. It's scary to do that. It's nice to be able to experience something with your buddies, whether it's performing live. I'm confident as hell when I step out there with my friends, but stepping out somewhere by yourself and and performing that's that's intimidating you've done that some mm-hmm, yeah are you, are you intimidated when you do it or does does your live experience unless jake just translate straight to that no it's definitely a, a different ball of nerves than it is when i'm with the band because as chris and i discussed it it there 
There's no one to lean on. There's no one to cover your mistakes. There's, you know, it's only so loud and, and, and big you can get an acoustic guitar to sound. It, it, you're, you're essentially, you're naked up there with a guitar in your voice. So any mistakes are going to all be on you. But I also think that's the allure of it too. You know, it, 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 makes, it makes me want to do it every once in a while because it, it is different than, than what I'm used to with the band. And the band at this point, much like you with Punchline, it's so comfortable to walk side stage and get on the stage with the guys. It's just, you, you've been doing it for so long, you know? Yeah. And Chris, you know what else we've been doing for so long? I have no idea. The After Party Podcast. It's our other podcast. And if you join our supporting cast at ChrisDemakes.com, you get a weekly bonus episode of our other podcast called The After Party. Apparently, people really like it. Every week, people are leaving us comments and stuff about it. So, you know, if you're interested, head to ChrisDemakes.com. Not only do you get weekly bonus episodes, but you also support the podcast that you love which I'm talking about Chris makes a podcast, by the way. That was the perfect segue. Thank you, Chris. And please <laughs> give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. And I'm still doing those custom songs for you or that special someone in your life. That's right. A custom song written and recorded by me. Hit me up, makes at gmail.com. I'd love to write you one. And I want to thank this week's guest, Chris Shiflett, for sitting with us. And we'll see you next week. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like chocolates. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.